and welcome to Spanish Answers, episode 41. I'm your host, Sarah, with Language Answers, and today's cultural tip covers three interesting traditions in Mexico. The first is what we commonly refer to in English as the Mexican hat dance. I'm sure you've heard the song or seen the dance itself, maybe on YouTube or in movies, but in Spanish, it's the Jarabe Tapatillo. So this is a Mexican folk dance, and according to DonQuixote.org, in the early 19th century, the Spanish rule actually banned it because they thought it was too suggestive and challenged their authority, as it were. And so the dance actually became not just something you would do for fun or for tradition, but also as a way to kind of be rebellious. So I thought that was pretty cool. Now, I have included a YouTube link so that you can see a version of the dance being performed. It is really cool. Also, if you notice that the women have these really cool skirts that kind of when they fold them in and out as they dance, it almost reminds you of butterflies. This style of, of outfit is called a china poblana, something else I didn't know before this episode. There you have it. That's number one. So number two, in keeping with the fact that Christmas begins right after Thanksgiving, well, the Christmas season, this tradition is Las Posadas. And Las Posadas is basically where the community comes together and the impression I have overall is that it's really for the kids, although, of course, the adults also enjoy the fellowship and getting together and having a meal and all of that. But it seems to be mainly for the kids, so you have one person represent Mary, they carry a Mary figurine, and another carry a Joseph figurine, and they go around and they ask people to let them stay there. So it harks back to the Gospel of Luke, where Mary and Joseph go back to Bethlehem, right, to basically register for the Roman census. And because so many people are, are coming into Bethlehem, there's no place for them. You know, there's no place at the inn. And so instead of staying where it would be comfortable and warm, they end up staying in a stable. I've heard different things about what a stable in Bethlehem would have looked like, but needless to say, it would not have been comfortable. There would have been lots of animals and not really the ideal place to give birth to your son, let alone the savior of the world. So. Las Posadas is kind of a reminder of what they had to go through, but it's really cool. I had no idea that this was even a thing until I did some research for this episode. I've included a link to Mi Padrino, which has an entire blog dedicated to this, including a video that kind of walks you through what it is and why it's important. But it also gives you, or they've also given the songs that you would sing if you're outside or if you're inside, and I don't know, it's really, really cool. I wish I was someplace where I could actually see this, you know, and partake in it. But if you want to do some more research on Las Posadas, I highly recommend that you click on the link and check that out. And third, but certainly not least, is the Gelaguetza Festival. So this happens in July in Oaxaca, and from what I've seen, it looks fantastic. Again, this is something I didn't know existed until I began research for this episode, but basically it's a festival that celebrates all of the indigenous cultures within Oaxaca and there's just a bunch of dancing and different traditional outfits and the dancers will throw things into the audience normally fruit but you know things that come from their region it's just fantastic the word gelagetza comes from the Zapotec language and it means offering. And basically it's the idea that when you gather together as a community to celebrate something, everyone brings a gift, right? A gelagetza, some kind of food or something that will help to celebrate. 
it's just a celebration of this way that you know everyone's tied to each other within a society with this exchange of gifts so to speak so it's also an interesting combination of the corn goddess i'm not going to say this right but sentiatal i think something like that and the catholic celebration day of our lady of mount carmel another interesting thing is that a young woman is chosen from the region to be like the representation of the corn goddess and she's chosen not because of her looks or anything like that but because she is considered to be one of the more knowledgeable ones of her tradition she really understands them one of the more interesting festivals i've definitely ever learned about and i have of course included some links regarding it if you want to research it a little bit more including a youtube video that will give you visuals on it highly recommend that you go check that out and with that let's go ahead and start our episode So in today's episode, we're going to start on some interesting and challenging grammatical concepts that I discovered while doing research for my Respuestas Inglesas podcast, and that's homophones, homonyms, homographs, and heteronyms. To kind of break that up a little bit, because if you're anything like me, I had never heard of these words, but I did understand the concepts they were describing. I just never had it explained to me from... I don't know, the official grammatical term, if you will. Anyways, a homograph is where you have two words that have the same spelling, but they have different meanings. And they might have the same sound or they might not. So, for example, bow and bow, right, are homographs. So you can have a bow that's like a bow and arrow, or you can have a bow like a ribbon that goes around a gift. Now, within a homograph, is a heteronym so it has the same spelling it has different sound and a different meaning but again same spelling so this would be like bow as in the arrow and bow as in you bow to someone out of reverence or it's the difference between i read a book and i read a book see how the spellings are the exact same thing but how you pronounce them determines what it means now a homophone is where you have two words that have the same sound and a different meaning. So maybe not the same spelling. So an example of this in English is pear and pear. One is a fruit and one is a group of two objects. So I have a pair of shoes and I eat pears. Two different spellings, but same pronunciation, different meanings. A homonym is where you have the same sound and you have the different meaning and it might be the same spelling or not, for this episode, we'll talk about where they do have the same spelling. So, same sound and same spelling, but different meaning. In this situation, it would also be a homograph, but you'd have peer and peer. So, I was referring to my peers in the audience, or I peered into the window. So, you've got one that's a verb that's to look closely at something, and another that's describing like a colleague. In today's episode, we're going to talk about homonyms. Homonyms, again, are a type of homophone and a homograph. They have the same sound, they are spelled the same way, but they have different meanings based on the context. And we're going to talk about these in Spanish. So, are you ready? We're going to do 10 examples of homonyms in Spanish. Or, as they say in Spanish, we're going to do 10 ejemplos de 
homónimos en español. Homónimos. Example one is banco. So this can be a park bench or it can mean a bank or even a shoal, like with fishing. So some examples are yo trabajo por un banco. Necesito sentirme en este banco. I work for a bank or I need to sit down on this bench. And el pesquero no puede encontrar un banco. The fishing boat couldn't find a shoal. Example number two, nada. Nada can mean nothing, or it can be the third person present tense of the verb nadar, to swim. So for example, el nada cada día de la semana. He swims every day of the week. No tengo nada. I don't have anything. No tengo nada. Third example, consejo. So this can be advice that someone gives you, or it can be a board, like um, how you have board members with a business, or a board that reviews the business practices. Laura me pidió consejo. Laura asked me for advice. El consejo de la empresa va a reunirse esta mañana. The company's board is going to meet this morning. The fourth example is para. This can mean the verb to stop, or it can be the preposition for. ¿Tienes un regalito para mí? Do you have a gift for me? Para! ¿No ves la señal de pare? Stop! You don't see the stop sign? Example number five. Pata. So this can mean an animal leg, or if you're talking about like a cat or dog, it can mean a paw, or it can mean a female duck. Los niños le dieron de comer a la pata. The children fed the duck. Mi perrito se lastimó la pata. My dog hurt his paw. Now, it can also mean bad luck. Like, give mala pata. What bad luck? Example six. Como. So this is either the conjugation for first person of comer, so I eat, or it means like or scent. Como avena cada día. I eat oatmeal every day. Ella está actuando como una niña. She is acting like a child. Number seven, don, which can be a gift or a talent, or it can mean a term of respect. For example, eres un don de Dios. You are a gift from God. Don Quixote era un hombre interesante. Don Quixote was an interesting man. There's not an exact translation between Don and Mr. in English. It's used similar to how Mr. and Mrs. in English kind of give a sign of respect towards someone you're talking to. Don and Doña do the same thing, but there are slightly different nuances. Antigueña Spanish Academy has a really interesting article that I've included a link to that kind of goes into the history of the word Don and how it's used across Latin America. So definitely recommend that you check that out if you're curious about the differences between Don and Mr. and how it's used in Spanish. But anyway, moving on to example number eight, sobre. So sobre can be above of or on top of something, or it can mean an envelope. So for example, pon el papel sobre la mesa, or pon el papel en el sobre y envíelo por correo. Put the paper on top of the table or 
put the paper in the envelope and mail it. Number nine, amo. Amo can mean either master, like master of a residence, or the first person conjugation of amar, the verb to love. Juan is el amo de la mansión. Juan is the master of the mansion. Te amo, mija. I love you, my daughter. Last example, number 10, cara. Cara can be either a face or something is expensive. No toques mi cara. Don't touch my face. Esta lámpara es muy cara. This lamp is really expensive. So there are your 10 examples of homónimos, which, as we've seen in this episode, are examples of homophones, or homófonos, and homographs, los homógrafos, and basically are just an interesting way of classifying an interesting phenomenon in written and spoken word. So I hope that you're able to use this. I hope that it helps clarify some things, or at the very least, you can use it to kind of sound really, really smart to your friends. That's all for today. Please don't forget to check out the show notes for notes and or links to resources used for this episode. This episode was brought to you by Language Answers Limited. If you're looking for a Spanish to English translator, someone to edit or review your documents, or would like tutoring, you can email me at contact at languageanswers.com. That's contact at languageanswers.com. Or visit my website, www.languageanswers.com. You can also send me your questions or topics you'd like me to discuss in a podcast episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in two weeks.